Well, good morning, church family. I feel like I've been at a kind of at a buffet this morning, a banquet. Uh, beautiful music together. We've enjoyed that. We've we've prayed together and given our gifts to the Lord together, and we have gathered around the Lord's table this morning and remembered of been reminded of His amazing love for us. Amen. Let's continue to worship him as we would enjoy uh, a feast together, hopefully uh, around the word of God. Let me ask the Lord to, to bless us by his spirit for that time. And Holy Spirit, you are the one who inspired those whose pen was moved by you to write down the heart of God for us. And we just come uh, hungry. We come humbly. We come eager to hear from you this morning. And as we come, we don't just come to be hearers of the word. We want to be doers of it as part of how we worship you in this moment, but how we worship you with how we do our life the other six days of the week. So this is your time. Be glorified in it. Be our teacher in Jesus name. Amen. And amen. Well, if you brought your Bible with you this morning, uh, I would invite you to turn with me into the New Testament book of Ephesians. The fourth chapter is where you want to land. Ephesians chapter 4, if you got out of the house without a Bible today, raise your hand and Bob can, can supply you with a copy of God's Word. And also in your uh, bulletin is a little note page. I encourage you to pull that out as well. That might be of some help along the way. Well, church family, a couple of weeks ago, I asked you to join me in a commitment to pray for one anotherism to invade the life of Idlewild Bible Church in a new and powerful way. And so, dare I ask if you have been doing that? I can ask, right? <laughs> have you been doing that with me? Okay, that is wonderful. If, and, and, and just I would just say, if you have been, man, keep it up. Do not stop. If you have no idea what I just was speaking about, here would be the short version. We entered into a brand new study series a couple of weeks ago called One Another. And as part of that, we were introduced to a, a thought, uh, this, a thing called individualism, uh, which is a philosophy that really invades and pervades our culture. Individualism is a way of thinking and a way of living that is dominated by words like I and me, and it is ultimately all about me. That's individualism. One anotherism is something altogether different from that. It's a way of thinking and living that is built around the words we and us. Not I, but we, not me, but us. One anotherism. On the pages of our Bibles, primarily in the New Testament, the phrase one another shows up again and again and again, always joined to, a, to an activity or behavior, an attitude or an action that all who love Jesus are and are involved in his church are to be practicing. And if you flip this little page over that uh, I called your attention to you. You'll, you'll notice that on the back side of it, there are listed no less than 40 one another's that are to mark our relationships within the walls of this church as part of being the family of IBC and to mark our relationships outside of the church as well. 
one another's that draw us together, that knit us together relationally and spiritually and practically so that we are able to experience life at IBC that is healthy, that is God-glorifying, and is attractive to people who don't know Jesus yet. And we say yet because we believe they will. Just look down this list and imagine what being part of a faith community that consistently did these 40 things, what that would be like to, to be a part of that all of the time where everybody was totally committed to that. This list of 41 another's is basically one anotherism. And it's what we are in pursuit of right now. Cultivating, encouraging, growing a culture of one anotherism here at IBC as the Holy Spirit through his word enables us to do that. As I was thinking about this series, we've only, we're only two weeks into it at this point, and this will be our third time together. It occurred to me that in this particular series, every Sunday as you come to church, it's kind of like you're opening a, a box of Cracker Jacks. Uh, you, know, you know Cracker Jacks, right? Uh, the, the candy corn, but what does Cracker Jacks always have in it? It's got a prize of some kind, right? You just don't know what the prize is. It, but you know there's a prize in there waiting for you when you open up that that, that box of Cracker Jacks. And, and as you come to the Bible church on these Sunday mornings, you have no idea what one another uh, we're going to be picking up and spending time with on a, a particular morning. And that's kind of cool. I've never really thought of my church family friends coming and it being like a box of Cracker Jacks. But it's kind of like that a little bit. Because I'm not sure exactly where we're going to be going from week to week to week. Um, as we pursue these one another's from the pages of God's word. I'm letting the Holy Spirit take us where he wants us to go. Today, though, as you can see on your note page, the one another that he is directing us to consider for a little while together is the one another that says, bear with one another. The first three verses of Ephesians 4 are where we find this particular one another uh, listed. And it's part of what Paul writes in a letter to a church family in the first century in Ephesus. Now, Paul, just by way of the briefest background, is writing from a jail. He's writing from a prison cell. He's been arrested for preaching about Jesus and about forgiveness of sin through faith in him, the gift of eternal life that comes to those who have been blood-bought by Jesus and his work upon the cross, the very things we were celebrating around the communion table a moment ago. For preaching that, he has lost his freedom, and he is in prison. The prison officials will not let him go anywhere, but they will let him write, and so he takes full advantage of that little bit of flex in the system. And as part of this letter, he writes, beginning in verse 1, Ephesians 4, these words. To the church family in Ephesus, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. We'll stop right there. Bear with one another. We'll read the very same admonition from Paul again in the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verse 13, but Ephesians 4 will serve us well for our time together. Now, I'm pretty sure that sometime down the road, we're going to open the Cracker Jacks box 
And we're going to pick up a one another that goes like this. Bear one another's burdens. It's found in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2. This sounds very similar to bear with one another. Bear one another's burdens. Bear with one another. But I want to let you know that those two admonitions are very, very different in what they're calling for, what they're asking for. To help someone bear their burden is to help them carry a heavy load, to to help them manage a crisis or perhaps deal with a severe temptation in their life or a struggle with a sin issue or or some other thing. And certainly that is important to us um, being part of this this, this thought of one another and one anotherism. We're going to get to Galatians 6 too. But today we're going to bear with one another. And that is very different. To bear with, in English, translates a single Greek word um, as Paul wrote this sentence for the very first time. And the word, the Greek word, is anoke. It's a compound word formed by, by squeezing two Greek words together to form one brand new word. And so Paul took the word ana, which means up, and the word noke, which means to hold, and you put those two words together, and what does it mean? It means to hold up. See, you're Greek scholars, all of you. This is great. You put those two words together and you get the idea of, of, of holding up. But, but not maybe like you're thinking of holding up something like, like you lift it off the table and you hold it up. The idea behind this word means that you, you could press forward, but you hold up. You hold back. You restrain yourself. Like a rider on a horse would pull the reins on the horse. The horse could go forward, but you, you hold that horse up. You, you pull it back. In time, the word came to mean to give some space to or to, to back off, to give a little more room to. So in our day, if Paul were writing these words today from a jail cell somewhere in the United States and he was writing to our church, he would say, with all humility and gentleness and patience, cut one another some, some slack. That's the idea behind this word, bear with one another. I am to cut you some slack and you are to give me some wiggle room in our relationship with each other. Patiently, gently, humbly, putting up with my silly idiosyncrasies, my odd personality quirks, putting up with my annoying to you little tics and habits and weirdnesses, things that in the big picture simply don't matter very much. They're my personal, they're just kind of, how I'm wired, how I'm put together, my personal preferences, my likes, my dislikes, my quirks, all of that. So we're not talking here about being slack on essential matters, non-negotiable matters that Scripture addresses and says, hey, you take a stand on this. You You hold hard line here. That's not what bearing with one another has in mind. We do not, for example, bear with sin. Agreed? We don't cut slack when uh, it comes to sin issues. Sin separates and it destroys and God's word calls us to to resist it and to confess it and to, to call sin out and to repent of it because that's what it means to love well. I would not 
knowingly cut you slack so that you could sin with more creativity or something. You wouldn't do that with me. Bearing with doesn't mean that we go soft on, on essential doctrine, foundational truth that defines our Christian faith and, and impacts our eternity. For example, we don't, we don't cut slack when it comes to, to the issues of inerrancy of Scripture, right? Or, or the Trinity or the deity of the Lord Jesus. Or uh, we would not cut slack when it comes to the fact that the blood of Jesus is the only payment price for the sin in your life and in my life. There's no other price that can be paid but that. True? We don't cut slack on that. We don't cut slack on salvation by grace alone in Jesus Christ alone. Faith in him, right? We don't cut slack. And we don't cut slack when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus. He was crucified, buried, and what? Risen again. Those are matters that are foundational and absolutely non-negotiable and essential to our faith. And love demands that we not go slack in those ways. But the Holy Spirit is saying here, brothers and sisters, that there is much in your life, in my life, and in our relationship with one another that is not essential. It's not one of the non-negotiables of life. Much of our relationships with each other are simply matters of, of working with our personality differences, um, how we're wired, how life has shaped each one of us. We all have a story of how we are who we are today, uh, the people in our life, the experiences we've had, personal preferences that we share that, that aren't the same, uh, dislikes and likes, on a, on a huge range of issues, things that, that we can turn into essentials if we want to, make them non-negotiables, but we shouldn't because they really don't matter very much. And at all of these places, out of love for our Lord, out of love for his church, out of love for one another, we bear with each other. We cut each other some slack. Is this clear? Is this, is, am I making this clear? Now, is this easy to do? Is it easy to cut each other some slack? <laughs> I'm not sure what I'm hearing. I'm just hearing this kind of a low rumbling. Uh, there's an old saying that goes like this, because I think, I'm, I, I think I know where you are, because this is where I would be. There's an old saying that goes like this, to live above with the saints I love, ah, that will be glory but to live below with the saints I know, well, that's a different story. <laughs> Bearing with one another is not an easy thing. One morning a preacher opened his sermon with these words. I have some good news for us and some bad news. The good news is that everyone who puts their faith in Jesus is going to heaven. The bad news is that we all have to go there together implying that it's not easy, right? Sometimes we find it hard to get along with each other. Like the story of the little boy who was sitting on the front steps looking really put out when his dad came home from work and his dad walks up to him and he says, man, what's wrong? And the little boy says, well, just between you and me, dad, I'm having trouble getting along with your wife. How about the story of the little girl who was being forced to eat alone at a small table in the kitchen as part of the discipline 
uh, from her parents for being disrespectful to the rest of the family. And as the family sits down at the table, they overhear the little girl praying, and she says to God, I don't think I should have to thank you, Lord, for preparing a table for me in the presence of my enemies. (laughs) Two Christian friends were talking, and they were expressing their frustration with a particularly annoying third brother. And the one says to the other, Jesus loves him. And I'm trying, you know. (laughs) Who among us in this room, who among us has never experienced friction and uggs with people in your faith family? Can you say it's never happened to you? No. No. You know, we're all sinful people with sinful natures, though we've been blood-bought by Jesus and we're living by faith in Him, each of us is wired up in a unique way. We have a unique personality. We each have life experiences that are ours alone and they have shaped us. Our culture has shaped us. Our ethnic background uh, is woven into the fabric of who we are. Our strengths, our talents, our abilities, um, the way that we communicate or failed to communicate well. Um, All of this makes us, each one in this room, pretty much a a one-of-a-kind, very special creation. And being able to bear with one another and to cut one another some slack in our uniqueness is absolutely critical for the sake of harmony and unity and joy as we do life in this church. Agreed? We've got to know how to do this. And, and, and remember this, the enemy of our soul, the great liar, Satan, the hater of Jesus and the hater of this church is all about you and me not being about one another, right? He is all about us being into ourselves. He hates the thought that you or I would, would care about bearing with each other. How many of us have seen the movie trilogy called The Lord of the Rings? Have you seen that movie series? That, yeah, the three, the three films. The first film is called The Fellowship of the Ring, if you've seen the series. In this film, a kind of a little human-like being called the Hobbit, Frodo Baggins, inherits a ring, which is an instrument that has this incredible power, if you know the story. And a most unlikely fellowship of forms between Frodo and some other hobbits and some humans and a wizard and a dwarf and an elf. Right? You know this? Yeah? Together they are to take the one ring from, uh, from, uh, on a journey through Middle Earth and take it to Mount Doom and destroy the ring. This unlikely collection of nine must not only fight external evils of Imagine unimaginable kind, but they must also deal with the, the internal dissension that is caused by the corrupting power of the ring, but as well by the personal baggage that each one of them brings into the fellowship. They have to do that. And if you know the story, the fellowship fractures. It fractures because of selfishness and prejudice and competing agendas and alternative plans and abrasive personalities 
and the mission to destroy the ring, which is absolutely imperative if any of them are to survive, is constantly being threatened in part because the fellowship can't bear with one another very well. They struggle to do that. And and as I think about that, there is a parallel into the life of the church. Brothers and sisters, if the corrupting influence of our own sin natures, aided by the external influences of our evil enemy, Satan, and then compounded by our own unique personal baggage, if that can get to us and cause us to be annoyed with and upset with and out of sync with each other over non-essential stuff, our mission to make a difference for Jesus in this world, our mission is compromised. Would you agree with that? We're part of not the fellowship of the ring. We're part of the fellowship of the king, right? Every one of us in this room who know Jesus are part of that fellowship. And every relationship that we have within this fellowship is vulnerable to fracture if we are not super diligent in how we do relationship with each other. If we don't work at it, as verse 3 says, take a look at that one more time. Be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. If our quirks and our likes and our dislikes and and our personal idiosyncrasies uh, get in the way, that's going to threaten our unity. That's going to affect our ability to make a difference and accomplish the mission. So it's really important that we spend some time with this admonition to bear one another. Bear with one another. It's a big deal to God. It needs to be a big deal to us. And that's clear again from verse 1. Paul writes, I urge you from my prison cell to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Apparently Paul would see that walking worthy of our call includes bearing with one another, cutting each other some slack. I want to think about this. I invite you to think about it with me. And Jesus will be our model for how this is going to to look. When we watch Jesus in action and we see how he related and and treated other people, weird, messed up, quirky, sinful people, we see better how to bear with one another. Without ever compromising the truth, Jesus could cut others some slack so that they could be who they really were, not who they weren't. He could cut people some slack so they could grow to become more than they were in the moment. And he could cut people slack so that somehow they could make a contribution to his cause despite their imperfections and their quirks. They could make a difference for him. He cut them some slack. So we're going to spend some time with these thoughts. On your note page, in the middle there, you'll see, cut me some slack so I can what? Be me. Now, Brothers and sisters, we would probably never, ever verbalize that with each other. You probably would never say that to me. Tim, cut me some slack so I can be me. But deep down inside, we all hope that this is how we'll be treated by others in our church family. We just don't articulate it, but we hope that it would be true. To bear with one another requires that I give you room to be you, who you really are. 
without communicating a spirit of disapproval or judgment, without sending some kind of a, a nonverbal message that you really don't measure up to Tim's standards, his preferences, his likes, his, his expectations, when we are committed to cutting one another some slack, we actually convey without words that we accept and we welcome each other's differences. It's okay for you to be you in my world. I recognize that you are a unique creation. God made you the way that you are. All of your life experiences has come together to, to create who you are. And, and I, can, I can be supportive of that. I can thank God for that. That's part of bearing with one another. Now, Paul mentions here that there are three Holy Spirit-generated character traits that make cutting others some slack possible in our lives. Um, what are those three? Humility, gentleness, and patience. Those three qualities of character, and those flow right out of the life of Jesus. They're part of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. Gentleness. Right there is the middle virtue that Paul mentions. It's, it's often translated meekness. Gentle people don't try to remake others into their image. They don't do that. They're not bossy. They're not domineering. They're, they're determined not to force their will. They're not judgmental. Jesus will say of himself in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, I am gentle and humble in heart. Give me your burdens. Let me carry them for you. Part of the carryover of our sin nature, brothers and sisters, is that we still re- retain this, this proneness to want to judge brothers and sisters and to, to form impressions about others that may or may not be true, but we, we go there and we do that. And when we do that, it, it separates us. Jesus calls us out when it comes to this idea of judging each other that way. Take a look at Matthew chapter 7. You can leave Ephesians 4 if you're there for the moment. Um, Find the Gospel of Matthew. Turn to the left, chapter 7. I'm inviting you to the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is talking to this large crowd, and here's what he says at one point in the sermon. He says in Matthew 7, beginning at verse 1, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Is that not a scary verse? (laughs) That is scary. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? What a word picture. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, what is Paul saying? Or what is Jesus saying here? Man, you look at you first. Take a hard look at you. And and this is so critical to bearing with one another. The Apostle Paul in multiple places called on his fellow brothers and sisters to cut some slack and refrain from passing judgment on each other in areas that don't matter very much. Perfect example. Take you to Romans chapter 14. We've heard Jesus call us not to do that. Let's go to Romans 14. It's a moment here where 
Paul argues that it's just not very important whether a person eats or doesn't eat certain foods for religious reasons. It's just not a big deal. But the Roman believers, there were some in that church for whom this was a big deal. And so what Paul writes is this, chapter 14, verse 1. Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. Things that don't matter much. One's man faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. What is Paul calling for? He's calling for slack. Yes, cut these brothers and sisters some slack. In verse 13, the Holy Spirit says, Let this principle guide you in the non-essentials. Never cause your brother or sister to stumble because of your freedom. That would not be living out the love of Jesus. Right? And, And then to make it even more clear, go to chapter 15 and verse 1. Paul writes, We who are strong and have an obligation to, what are the next two words? Bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Is this rocket science? No way. This is crystal clear. And again, there are times when cutting some slack needs to become confrontation because a brother or sister is making sinful, foolish choices. There is a place for that. We do need to make judgments at times. We cannot write off all behavior as funky personality quirks. Sometimes what someone is doing is irresponsible, it's unloving, it's destructive, it damages the body. We call that out. We lovingly confront. We don't put discernment on the shelf in the name of bearing with. It's important for us to know that. But the greater hazard, brothers and sisters, for most of us is missing gentleness and forming judgments and impressions about others over non-essential, piddly stuff. And this makes it difficult for our relationships to have freedom and a comfortableness that unites us and doesn't separate us. I need to consciously think about cutting you some slack so that you can be you around me. Does that make sense? And and you, you need to do that for me. You need to cut me some slack so that I can be me around you. That promotes one anotherism. Second on your note page, we bear with one another. And what does that mean? I bear with you. I cut slack to you so that you can become more than you presently are. Not just so you can be who you are, but so that you can be more than you presently are. Bearing with one another enables us to look for and to pray for, to encourage each other to become more accurate reflections of Jesus tomorrow than we are today. Do you want that? I want that in my life. I want to look more like Jesus tomorrow than I do today. And that is really the goal of our God. In Romans chapter 8, verse 29, we won't turn to that verse, but there God is totally committed to over time by the work of his word and by the work of his spirit and the work of his church, he is totally committed to conforming your character more and more and more 
into the likeness of whose character? Jesus' character. You bet. That's what it's all about. And so bearing with each other reminds us that we need to do that. Who we're becoming is way more important to God than who we are right now. He doesn't want us to stay the same. And and when we bear with one another, we're encouraging us to be more than we are. I think of Gideon in the Old Testament. He comes to my mind as I think about this thought. In Judges chapter 6, do you know Gideon? Do you remember Gideon's story a little bit? Gideon is a, when you first meet Gideon, he's a timid, um, unimpressive, kind of fearful farmer. And when we first meet him, he is hiding in a hole in the ground. If you remember this, uh, scared to death because the Midianite invaders have come into his country and they're about to steal everything. And God wants Gideon to rise up and deliver Israel from this threat. So he's in this hole in the ground. He's totally scared to death. God sends an angel to him. And do you remember what the first words were of the angel to Gideon? Judges chapter 6. Greetings from the Lord, mighty warrior. Gideon, you know, had to look around and say, who just walked up behind me, right? Because you couldn't possibly be talking to me. But what was God doing in that moment? He was, cutting that, he was cutting Gideon some slack, wasn't he? He was looking beyond the moment to what Gideon would become, and he would become this, a mighty warrior and a deliverer of the people. God gave him room to be more than he was. He gives you and me room to be more tomorrow than we are today. Jesus, again, uh, think about Jesus in relationship to Peter, and Peter provides us with so much great material, Right? Jesus has to bear with Peter and cut him lots of slack, right? The scene that comes to my mind is the night before the cross, Luke chapter 22. Um, It's just this poignant moment where Peter uh, pledges his loyalty to Jesus by saying, everybody else in this room may abandon you, but Jesus, not me. (laughs) Remember this? Not me. I will die. And then Jesus just, in that moment, not in an angry way, but a very tender way, he says, Peter, before the night is over, you will deny that you even know my name three times before, before the night is over. And, and then it doesn't stop there, though. Jesus says, and when you return from this, Strengthen your brothers. What is Jesus doing in that moment? He is cutting him major slack. Alan, you've got it right on. Major slack, right? Because he knew that Peter would become more than what he was in that moment. What patience Jesus shows here. And and patience is one of the three virtues that Paul includes as critical to being able to bear with one another. Change is slow, isn't it? I mean, change is painfully slow in my life, and, and I'm guessing in yours. And if, 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 if I don't cut you some slack, give you time and space to grow and mature in your faith so that you can live out Jesus more clearly, man, I, I'm, not, I'm not bearing with you. And you need to do that with me. You want me to be more tomorrow than I am today. Yes? You want that for me. 
But change is slow. And, and you're going to have to be patient. And you're going to have to bear with me. Even as I will do for you. And brothers, I find, sisters, I find this, that it is easier for me to do this, to be patient with you, the more that I remember how much God has to be patient with me. Someone made an insightful observation when they said, impatient people have bad memories. Isn't that true? Impatient people have bad memories. They forget about all their own foolish decisions. They're they're, they're stupid, the, the stupid things they said or, or did, petty, unimportant issues that they made into mountains that were dividing and, and destructive. They forget where they were and where they've come from, and therefore they find it hard to bear with others. The Holy Spirit calls us to higher ground, patience to, to cut each other some slack on our way to becoming more for Jesus than we are in this moment. Cut me some slack so I can be me. Cut me some slack so I can become more. And then the third thought there, cut me some slack so that I can what? So that I can contribute somehow. Brothers and sisters, aren't you glad that our God does not require perfection from us before we're called into service for him? Aren't you you glad you don't have to be perfect before he says, okay, I can use you? Because there'd be nobody to serve, would there? Imperfect Christians can can make contributions to the work of Jesus, but they must be given the opportunity to do that. A willingness to bear with one another in our imperfections creates the opportunities for us to contribute. When we make it safe for one another to venture into a new place of service, for example, without the fear of being critically put down, if it doesn't go just right, without the fear of a sharp rebuke, without the fear of of that, that, that disappointing, condemning look coming our way, if we are cutting one another slack, well, that invites me to venture out and do something I might not otherwise do. But I have to feel safe. You have to bear with me. It's a very interesting moment in Paul's life story that's worth mentioning here. Philippians chapter 1. Can you go there with me? Philippians chapter 1. There were people in Paul's life who followed his ministry and resented him because of his successes, because of the the large following of people, the churches that rose up um, in the midst of his ministry. And, And there were people that were jealous of Paul. And they wanted that kind of attention They wanted the limelight. Well, as you come to Philippians 1, Paul is again in jail. And uh, so he he knows that this is going on, that there there are those out there, but he's in jail for his faith. And and he gets word that these less than honorable, motivated people are coming around and they're preaching Jesus, looking to, with Paul not being around, to get a following, to get a crowd. Well, what does Paul do with this? He's in jail. The only thing he can do is write. So what does he do? Does he issue a scathing rebuke of these these self-advancing preachers of Jesus who are ill-motivated? No. Take a look. Verse 14, Philippians chapter 1. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. 
Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I, what? I rejoice. What is Paul doing in this moment? Hmm? He's cutting some slack to some people who in my book don't deserve being cut any slack. Right? But it's not about Paul. It's not about Paul. It's about Jesus. That's what matters to him. To bear with one another means it's not about me. It's about you. It's about you knowing Jesus. Not individualism, but one anotherism. I cut you some slack in the midst of your imperfection so that you can be part of Jesus' advance. And that's all that Paul's thinking about in this moment. We bear with each other so we can contribute. Somehow we become part of of the bigger thing that God is doing. Obviously, there is woven into such an attitude a spirit of humility. What a, what a humble heart Paul had here in this moment. And that's part of how we bear with one another. We hold on to a humble heart. Cut me some slack so I can be me, so that I can become more and contribute somehow. We may never say that, brothers and sisters, but we hope it's true in this place. We hope it's true. On the bottom of your note page, I propose a few practical suggestions that might help us move more in this direction of bearing one another. We'll move through these very quickly. See if one of these might resonate with you in this moment. Maybe the Holy Spirit's going to poke you in the side and say, hey, try this. It'll help you to bear with. It'll help you cut some slack. You try this. First one, clean your windows first. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, it pretty much falls out of what Jesus said in Matthew 7 that we read a little bit earlier. You take the plank out of your own eye, then you can see to remove the sawdust speck from your brother's eye. The story uh, is told of an elderly couple who, who had a new young family who moved in next door to them. And the first morning while the elderly folks were eating breakfast, they see this young woman come out into the backyard and she's hanging up the laundry. And the elderly lady says to her husband, Man, that laundry is not very clean. She doesn't know how to wash correctly. Perhaps she needs a different laundry soap. Her husband looks at her and doesn't say a word. Every time that the neighbor would go out and hang up more wash, the elderly woman would make this same comment. Well, about a month goes by. The woman is surprised to see one morning Nice, clean, wash on the line. She says to her husband, look, she's finally learned how to wash correctly. I wonder who taught her that. And her husband says, I got up this morning and washed our windows. (laughs) Yeah. We will be better able to bear with one another if we clean our own windows first, right? Less critical, more understanding. Second, we might make a list of those for, with whom we know we have some difficulty relating. Uh, we could call it our, our sandpaper saints list. Okay, You have sandpaper saints in your life, people who rub you the wrong way. Yes? Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
some sandpaper saints in your life. Now, this is a list that you must not let get away from you. It has to stay close to you. But there are persons right now in this church family that rub you the wrong way. They are your sandpaper saints. Make a list of them and then look at the list and, and, and ask yourself, why do you struggle with these particular persons? What is it about him or her that gets under your skin and, and, and makes you annoyed and short and, and even want to avoid them? What is that? Is it something really big? Is it a non-negotiable of the faith? Or is it some personal preference, a, a personality quirk, a way they talk, a, the way they do what they do? Not a big thing. See if you can identify what's really keeping you in that place with that relationship. Third, pray for any and all of those whose names are on your number two list. Commit to pray for those sandpaper saints for 14 days. Why would you, why would you do that? Why? Well, because when you're praying for people, it's hard to not bear with them, right? Because you're praying for them. You're loving on them through your prayers. Something sweet will happen in our attitude and that relationship if we're praying for our sandpaper saint friends. Yeah? Fourth, step out of your comfort zone and really press yourself to invite that number one sandpaper saint on your list to share a cup of coffee with you or an iced tea. Invite them to do that. You say, why? Because your sandpaper saint has a story that you probably don't know about. A story that has shaped who they are. And, and when you spend time with them and hear their story, you understand a little bit more why they live the way they live and do what they do. Maybe they're living out of their woundedness. Maybe they're living out of their fear or out of a failure in their life or perhaps success in their life. And they become easier to bear with the better that you know them. And the flip side of that is, that other person is going to know you better too. And they're going to say, oh, that's why you're like you are, right? <laughs> and then the last suggestion, maybe you carry out a secret act of love toward your sandpaper saint. Loving feelings tend to follow loving actions. And if you're not feeling loving, then do a loving act in secret, one that you can't get patted on the back for or a note dropped back to you uh, of gratitude. It's simply a secret act. You do that for this person who's on your sandpaper saint list. And... And again, what will happen? You're going to change. You're going to be bearing with that person because you can't not do that. You can't love them in that way and not have your heart changed. You'll cut them some slack. A healthy church is filled with members who recognize that we're all different, right? In this room, there's hobbits. In this room, there are some dwarfs. In this room, there are some, some aloof elves out there. And there's some ornery humans. But we're all part of the fellowship of the king. Yes? And if we're going to make a difference for Jesus, we have to cut each other some slack. Let's pray. Oh, Wow. So much here, barely scratched the surface, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, thank you for challenging us. Help us. 
Help us here at IBC to be a family that knows how to cut each other some slack. For your glory, with gratitude because you have cut us so much slack. We say thanks in Jesus' name. Now we'll sing our amen to you and be on our our way into a new week where you might get all the glory in Jesus' name. Let's stand together, brothers and sisters, and close our morning.